Do you realize that all of hell gets nervous when the saints of God come together? Well, you didn't hear me. I said, do you realize that all of hell gets nervous when the saints of God get together? And all the demons in hell, their knees begin to buckle at the thought that you are going to put aside petty differences, that you are going to put aside the weight of the day and simply lift your voice and open up your mouth and proclaim the goodness of God in this day and age. All of hell is nervous right now. They are sweating. Demons in hell are sweating because there is an anointing from the Holy Spirit that comes together when God's children lift up their voice and proclaim, I am the anointed child of God. If you believe that, I want you to clap your hands and praise him and give him praise. Come on, church. Praise him. I want you to turn with me to Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, the 12th chapter and the 6th through the 12th verse. And I want you to read the text with me off the screen out loud. I will drop out and you continue reading. I want to speak to you on the power of the Holy Spirit with a vulnerable heart. The power of the Holy Spirit in a vulnerable heart. In this text, Paul is writing to the Corinthian church. And he is speaking about his personal difficulties he's facing in his life. It's almost as if the apostle gives you an inside look into his own life. He he literally pulls back the, 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 the curtain and allows you to see who he really is. He's about to get very transparent. And it's amazing what happens when we get transparent with the Holy Spirit. Blows my mind that we don't realize that he already knows you better than you know yourself. So he tried to put on these charades and put on these masks, and he said, just knock it off. I already know. It's kind of like when your children are just learning to walk and you're playing hide and seek. And they go hide over there under the, in, in the couch, and they put the pillows, and you can see their little diaper all sticking up and their fat little legs coming out from the cushion. And, and they're saying, you can't see me. That's what the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit said, yes, I see you, and I smell that dirty diaper. I smell all that stuff that you're trying to hide, you know. And that's how some of you are with the Holy Spirit. You think you can't see me, but he says, I, I know exactly where you are. I see your little chubby legs, and I, I see everything you're doing, and yet he still loves you. He loves you. And Paul is about to get very transparent just for a couple of chapter verses here. So let's join together. And I want you to read out loud. In fact, why don't we stand and I want one we read together and I want you to fill the auditorium with the electrifying power of the word of God. And uh, well, I'll start reading with you and then I'll drop out and then you'll finish. So we're reading 2 Corinthians chapter 12 verses 6 through 12. Ready, read. Even I should choose to boast. I would not be a fool. Or because of these surpassingly great revelations, therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. 
For when I am weak, then I am strong. Everybody say that with me. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You may be seated. It is easy to go through life and fall into the trap of trying to impress or please people. Human nature is such that we want to show people that we are strong, that we have it all together, that nothing rattles us. And make no mistake, it's a good thing to carry ourselves with a quiet confidence. However, as Christians, sometimes we have the added pressure that we are people of faith. We are supposed to have all the answers. And if anything goes wrong, well, that means there's something wrong with us. That's when the enemy steps in and will create a train of thought that so fits your way of thinking. You suppose it comes to your own line of reasoning, and these thoughts begin to come, and the enemy begins to tell you, look at yourself. Look at your family. Look at your church. You must not be the kind of Christian you thought you were. It's at this point that possibly the need to keep up an image may cause us to not be real or transparent with our husband or our wife, or real or transparent, especially with God. That's when we are tempted to put on a mask and start pretending. In 2 Corinthians 12, Paul is dealing with a weakness in his flesh. We are told twice in verse 7, that Paul emphasized that God allowed this thorn in the flesh to keep him from exalting himself. We have to remind ourselves that the Apostle Paul was still human, and he had the normal struggles of everyday life. It is widely believed because of the greatness of the revelations of God that the Holy Spirit allowed Paul to receive and experience that Paul then wrestled with pride. He was a prideful person because of the great things he'd experienced in the ministry. Six of the visions Paul received are recorded in the book of Acts, apart from the one related in this passage in 2 Corinthians. And when you read those revelations and see the depth, the breadth, the height, the, you see the wisdom and the understanding, you see the amazing prophetic insight, then you begin to understand why any one of us might get a little heady, might get a little puffed up. It's easy to see how pride would be a constant temptation for any one of us, and the Apostle Paul was no different. Therefore, to keep him humble, Paul was given a thorn in the flesh or a messenger of Satan to torment him. Now, the identity of this thorn has been greatly debated by theologians and commentators, Paul did not describe it in detail, indicating that the Corinthians probably knew already what he was dealing with. Most commentators assume, we don't really know what it is, but they assume that it was a physical ailment, maybe possibly a migraine headache that would come and go, or malaria, or they thought possibly epilepsy or gallstones, all based on other scripture, even bad eyesight. The Apostle Paul himself refers to his bad eyesight in Galatians 6.11 when he comments on how large the letters are in the, in the writings of the letters that he is giving or how large the actual alphabet is as he's writing. Others believe it best to understand Paul's thorn as a demonic messenger of Satan sent to torment him by starting trouble in the church 
trouble, not in the sense of people losing their salvation, but trouble in the sense of the daily workings of the church, Satan causing all kinds of little skirmishes, miscommunication and unrest and internal strife and backbiting and lying. And so the pastor in Paul was dealing with all kinds of little fires. And it's likely, one commentator said, that this demonic force would lead Paul to go out and mislead the church only to come back to harass Paul on all the problems he's creating. When I read that commentary, I imagine something like this. The spirit would come back, the demonic force. He would say, look at what I've done today, Paul. Last Sunday in your message, you let, took them one step, but I took them two steps back. I've knocked them back, Paul. You took them one step forward, I took them one step back. Now, we don't know if that really did happen or not. Those are just commentaries. Again, this is constant or consistent with Paul's testimony that his severest suffering came from his concern for the church. And you read that in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 28 through 29. However, what we do know is Paul asked God to remove the thorn not once, not twice, but three times. In fact, Paul tells us that he said when he asked The Lord answered, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Well, then Paul then adds, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest in me or on me. Paul wasn't being braggadocious. He was not hiding his weaknesses. No, he is actually saying, if we go around pretending, you ever met someone that just, they just pretend, you know, they... They get one good blessing, and they can't talk to anybody. <laughs> Suddenly, they, they buy a dress now at Saks. They usually buy their clothes at Walmart, but now they got one dress at Saks. And they walk in, and it's just they can't talk to nobody. No, you know, they just walking in high cotton. Paul is saying, if I go around pretending, acting like we don't have any weaknesses, then the Holy Spirit's power is going to be hindered and not show up in our lives to the level that God really wants the Holy Spirit to show up. So in essence, Paul is saying, therefore, I will look at all the things that I'm going through and turn them to praise, all the while thanking God that his power is resting on me. And that power will not only see me through, but the power of the Spirit will ultimately overcome the enemy and bring me my victory and the added strength that I need. For when I am weak, he is made strong. You see, it's easy to have faith at the beginning, and it's easy to have faith at the end. Oh, it's easy to have faith when God first plants that seed and first puts that in your heart, and then the Holy Spirit is so real at the beginning. But you don't have to be walking with God very long to realize that God will tell you about it in the beginning, but he doesn't tell you how to get there in the middle. He never shares about the process in the middle. Because if he did, you would say, no thanks, I'm out. So it's difficult. I've often wondered what it would be like to hear a conversation between God and the champions of heaven if you would allow me a little indulgence if we're in heaven and we hear a conversation between Mary and God, it might happen something like this. Good morning, Mary. What's up, God? Hi, baby girl. 
How are you? Oh, I'm doing good, Lord. Lord, I got a couple things I want to talk to you about. Lord, when you sent the messenger, Abraham, messenger angel Gabriel, you told me that I was highly favored. Yes, Mary, you're highly favored, and you were highly favored. Yes, Lord, you told me I would give birth to the Messiah. Yes, Mary, and you did. Yes, Lord, and that was wonderful, but you didn't tell me, Lord, it would be in a cave with stinky donkeys <laughs> and goats and chickens and pigs. And you left that part out. And you didn't tell me, Lord, that my parents wouldn't be there for the birth of their first child or grandchild. And Lord, you didn't tell me that then we would be on the run for the next two and a half years because the king was trying to kill us. No, Lord, you left that out. Faith in the middle. Then, Lord, you didn't tell me that I would watch my firstborn drag a cross through the cobblestone streets of Jerusalem, that they would spit on him and abuse him and slap him and mock him, and that I would literally watch them hang him on a cross, and it would turn as dark as night at 12 o'clock in the afternoon. And you didn't tell me, Lord, that he would look down from that cross and say, Mother, behold your child. Lord, you didn't tell me that we would be so poor that when they took my child off of that cross, that we would literally have to borrow a tomb from our next door neighbor, Joe of Arimathea. No, Lord, you left that out. But when you look at the life of Mary, she always ends every conversation with God with, blessed be the name of the Lord. She was being transparent, knowing in her weakness she'd be made strong. Friend, the Holy Spirit, who, pre, who will, the Holy Spirit is here to help and guide you. The Holy Spirit will not bless what you pretend to be. You might want to write that down. The Holy Spirit will not bless what you pretend to be. No, he looks beyond the mass, beyond the superficial. And friends, when we are big enough, like the Apostle Paul, to admit to God, Lord, I don't have it all together. I'm struggling in some areas. I really need your help. Being vulnerable with the Holy Spirit is not a weakness. It's plugging into his, into his strength. However, we pretend and try and impress people and live for our image. And when we do that, that puts pressure on us. That's playing right into the enemy's hands. Now we have to perform. Now there's an internal pressure to make people think in the church that, well, you know, I got it all together. There's nothing wrong with me. I can do all things. I'm perfect. I'm great. Don't worry about me. No, take the mask off. Tonight, can you be real with God and with people? But Randy, what if I do that and they think less of me? What people think of you really doesn't matter. Because people don't control your destiny. If your friends judge you for being real, then they're not true friends, and a true friend will accept you for who you really are, with all the blemishes and with all the faults and all the, all the weaknesses and all the shortcomings. See, the truth is, people that judge you are not being honest with themselves. They have their own issues. We all got issues. 
Everyone in this room has got issues. How many know somebody that got some issues? Anybody sitting next to someone that has some issues? We all have issues. I read about a man who was visiting a church for the first time. He approached the pastor after the service in the lobby, and he boldly informed him that this would be his last time he would be in this church. And the pastor said, well, I'm glad you came, and, but can you tell me why it'll be your last time? And the man said, yes, for 20 years I've been searching and searching, and I've been looking for the perfect church. And I thought your church would be it, but you let me down, and your church fell well short. And the pastor reached out his hand, and he took him by the hand, and he shook his hand. And he said, sir, can I, can I offer you a little advice? He said, yes. He said, well, do me a favor. If you find the perfect church, please don't stay there because you're going to ruin it. <laughs> well, the point is the church is made up of imperfect people living in an imperfect world. And yet we live in a society that stresses image. Society tells us if we don't have it all together, if we don't wear the latest or drive the latest or hang out with the most popular or hang out with the best, if you don't do those things or have those things or own those things, then you are not worth investing in. And this attitude creates all kinds of pretending on your job, wearing masks to try and impress well, that may feel strong, but in fact, it's weak. If you can't be honest with yourself, if you have to hide your struggles, act a certain way to keep up your image, then you won't come to the full potential that the Holy Spirit of God wants you to become. He's trying to grow you up like Christ. Let me tell you, God is not looking for the ideal you. He's not looking for the pretend you. The Holy Spirit's not looking for the future you. He's looking for the real you. The real you. Paul understood this. This is why Paul said in Philippians 3.13, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. Another translation says, I am still not everything I should be. Is there anybody in the room that could be honest with yourself and raise your hand and say, Pastor, I'm still not what I should be? Come on. Anybody else? It's just you and me here. <laughs> not what I should be, but thank God I'm not what I used to be. Now, this statement from Paul blows my mind because he was one of the greatest apostles to ever live. Did you know that he was a scholar, that Paul was a theologian, that Paul spoke five different languages? He also authored the prison epistles and in total wrote 14 books of the Bible, all under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And yet, with all of this success, Paul had the humility to say, I don't have it all together yet. I'm doing my best, but I'm not there yet. He's literally confessing to the Corinthian church here, there are areas in my life that I'm falling short. And what I find very interesting is he could have let pride hide his weakness, mask his shortcomings, but he became vulnerable with the Holy Spirit. Are you vulnerable tonight to the voice of the Holy Spirit? 
He could have very easily played things off. Nobody would have said anything if Paul would have said, hey, uh, excuse me, have you seen my resume? I've attained the highest level. I mean, come on, man, I speak five different languages. I wrote most of the New Testament. I'm a great man. I don't have any weaknesses. But as he neared his death, when he could have impressed people, when he could have bolstered his image, instead he laid it down before the Holy Spirit. He took off his mask, and he was real with God. When's the last time you, you and the Holy Spirit just got real? Can we get real? And that's the kind of people that God promotes. Those are the ones that God can use. Why? There's a vulnerability. There's power in the vulnerability of a heart that says, Lord, I need you. Hear it again. It's okay to say, I'm not there yet. I'm still struggling with some issues. Be patient with me. The Holy Spirit is not through with me yet. He's still working in me. He's still stretching me. He's still leading me. He's still guiding me. I told you the other night that the word olos paracletus or alos paracletus, another of the same kind, the word alos simply means in Latin of the same kind or like the aloe plant. And the, when you put that on your hand, it nourishes, it nurtures, it feeds. The Holy Spirit, it's okay to say, Holy Spirit, you're still nourishing me. You're still nurturing me. You're still changing me. I'm not going to wear a mask. I'm not pretending. I'm at peace with not being perfect. Do you know there's a lot of people that can't say that? And when you have the Holy Spirit functioning in your life, it begins, you have a helper. Somebody just shout out, I have help. Come on, say it again. I have help. The Holy Spirit is your help. He is your helper. He's the Olos Paracletus, another of the same kind. And I'm at peace with not being perfect. Now, don't miss this. Please understand that is not a license to go through life and never change. To harden our hearts and tell people, well, you know, if you don't like me, you just get, there's a line at the door where you came in. You know, some have that attitude. Well, you know, you heard the pastor, and the pastor said that it's okay not to be perfect, so don't go home and tell your husband or your wife, well, Pastor Randy said this, so you know what, you can just... <laughs> No, no, don't, don't blame me for that. That's your sin. So I am not saying that this is a license to go through life and never change or to harden your heart and tell people, well, if you don't like me, then you know where the door is. No, no, the Bible says in Genesis 1, and the Spirit of the Lord hovered. The King James says, and the Spirit of the Lord moved which tells me you can't be people who are spirit-filled or spirit-led and not move. I'm not talking about jumpings and shoutings. I'm talking about move to change. The Holy Spirit will change your heart if you have a vulnerable heart. He will change your heart. He will grow you up to be a people that are like Christ. 
Many of you can look over your life, those of you that were saved 10, 20, 30 years ago, and you say, like you said earlier, thank God I'm not what I used to be, but I'm not what I'm going to be, and I'm thanking God for that. But there are still others that we can't seem to admit, hmm, I got some issues. If you can't be honest with yourself and honest with God, you will get stagnant and your heart will grow hard. And the key is, you have to get into an altar. You have to get into a prayer closet. Not just here on Sunday night or Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, but in your home. I want you to ask yourself this question. Where is my prayer closet to meet with the Holy Spirit where I get real? Do you have a place? Maybe you got a long commute to work and you put on some music in your car and that's where you meet with the Holy Spirit. Maybe it's in your living room or beside your bed. But the key is you have to have a place where you get quiet. Where you shut out the noise of this world. Where you put out the problems. Where you don't think about the kids and the bills and the boss and the car and the brakes on the car and the garage door and the washing machine and and all the stuff. And you just put it away and you say, Holy Spirit, I need you. Anybody else need him? I need you. I'm not acting strong. I know I'm acting strong, but the truth is I'm afraid. I don't know the way to go. Have you ever had a situation in your life where you just didn't know which way to go? See, when you empty yourself in that prayer closet, then God will fill you. But God will not fill a full vessel that's already full. If you're full of, (laughs) I said it nice, if you're full of yourself, if you're full of pride or anger or bitterness, acting and pretending, wearing a mask, there's no room for God. I heard it said the other day, And I love the saying, every heart is an inn and every person is an innkeeper. And will the Holy Spirit hear no room in the inn? He wants to come and live in your inn. And when we humble ourselves and empty our pride and our doubts and our fears, then God can fill us with favor with his strength, with his purpose, and help us to get to the next level. If you believe that, somebody shout amen. Amen. In Mark chapter 9, verse 17 to 24, a desperate father has a son who is demon-possessed. I heard a very well-known preacher on television say that the boy had uh, all kinds of problems. I said, yes, he had problems. But this preacher didn't want to admit it was demon-possession. So he said he had some kind of palsy. I said, no, uh uh-uh. He had a demon. And the Bible says in Mark 9 and 17, a man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He falls on his face, gnashes his teeth, becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Jesus looks at the crowd and says, Oh, unbelieving generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I tarry with you? Bring the boy to me. Bring him here. Bring the boy to me. 
He looks at the boy's father and he says, how long has he been like this? This, again, is mind-blowing because he is all God, yet he's all man. But Jesus is waiting on the answer. If I had a subtitle to this message, it would be, Jesus is waiting. The Holy Spirit is waiting. He's waiting to see how you're going to respond tonight. He's waiting. Jesus already knew the answer that the father was going to give. And so he says, how long has he been this way? And the boy's father, he gets vulnerable. And he says, from childhood, it is often thrown into the fire to kill him. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. In other words, Jesus says, how long have you been dealing with this? And he's wait. He wants to see. Because the boy's father could have gave him any kind of answer. Jesus says, everything is possible for him who believes, and now he waits again, and the boy's father says, I do believe, now help me overcome my unbelief. This man was being honest with Jesus, he's being vulnerable, he looks at Jesus and says, yes, Lord, I believe, but I'm struggling with what I see. My faith is trying, but my mind is out arguing what I see. Have you ever allowed what you see to affect what you know? Here's a key. I'm not going to allow what I see to affect what I know. Say that with me. I will not allow what I see to affect what I know. Say it again. I will not allow what I see to affect I want you to say it like the child of God with the conviction of the Spirit of God. I will not allow what I see to affect what I know. I know my God is a healer. I know my God is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. I know my God can still do all things. And yet this boy's father is struggling. In other words, he's saying, Lord, we're in a pretty desperate situation. It looks hopeless. I'm having trouble seeing past the situation. My heart wants to believe. My mind is struggling in reality and the facts of the situation. And it's interesting that Jesus didn't say, what do you mean you have doubts? Jesus didn't say, well, I just told you already all things are possible to them that believe. And so since you don't believe, I'm going to go find somebody else. No, the Bible says he came and healed the young man. Friends, when you're honest with the Holy Spirit, when you get real with him, he doesn't judge us. He doesn't turn the other way. No, he comes and he meets with you. And this story shows that when you take off the mask and get down to the real you, maybe tonight the doubting you, the lonely you, the insecure you, When you're vulnerable with the Holy Spirit, he'll change you. For the Bible says in Joel 3 and 10, let the weak say, let the weak say that I am, say it again, let the weak say that I am strong. It doesn't say you should never have doubts, never freak out or feel weak, never be discouraged. Now, when the enemy plants these doubts into your mind and spirit, that's the first sign that you are under attack. And that's when you immediately begin to turn on the devil. Lord, I feel weak today, but I know in my weakness you are made strong. So, Holy Spirit, would you come? Holy Spirit, I'm concerned about our finances. I don't see how we're going to make it, but I'm not going to allow that fear to keep me from tithing. And I'm being vulnerable with you, Holy Spirit. So I need you now to come and fill the void.
That's being honest with the Holy Spirit. That's being vulnerable. In John 1 and 29, it tells us that when John saw Jesus for the first time, he said that famous line. He's baptizing people. He looks up. He sees the long, lean Galilean walking towards him. And John proclaims, behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. In other words, John knew he is the Messiah. Now, remember, in Matthew 3.16, while Jesus is being baptized by John, the Bible says the moment that Jesus went under the water and came up, the heavens opened, the clouds began to part, and a dove settled down on Jesus in the form, a symbolic form of the Holy Spirit, or the Holy Spirit, and they hear a loud voice, Behold, my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased, listen to him. Can you imagine what a scene? And if anyone should have been a man of faith, it should have been John. Remember in John 1, he says, behold, the Lamb of God. But a few chapters later in John 11, John's life takes an unexpected turn. He's now in prison and he begins having doubts and he starts wondering, is he really the Messiah? Is he really the Son of God? John sends two of his disciples over to Jesus, and he says, I want you to ask him if he really is who he says he is. Now, you would think if you saw heaven open, you would think if you saw the clouds split and a dove come down and a big voice say, my son, listen to him, that you would have the faith you need. But when life throws you a curve, when suddenly situations find you on a stretcher, Do you know what it is to be on a stretcher, an emotional stretcher, where you're looking around and saying, what in the world just happened? Everything was going straight. Everything was fine. What in the world just happened? And you're faced with difficult situations. Things can change. Your faith can get rocked. And even John the Baptist had doubts, but he was now vulnerable. He allows his heart to be vulnerable to the Holy Spirit. Remember, John is the one Jesus himself said, among those born of women, there is not risen anyone who is greater than John the Baptist. He said that in Matthew eleven eleven. And John could have very easily said, I baptized the man. I told people he was the Lamb of God. I can't let anyone know I'm not sure now. I have to keep my image. I got to wear this mask. No, John's attitude was, I'm not a pretender. No, I'm not trying to impress people. There's too much at stake. Someone go and ask him if he really is the one. Jesus didn't get upset. He didn't say, well, tell John he should have more faith. I'm disappointed in him. He should, have, he should know better. No, no, he's out there, and he looks over his shoulder, and he says, here's what I want you to tell John. Tell him the blind see, <laughs> the deaf hear, the lame walk, the dumb are speaking. Those are people that are being healed and set free and delivered. In essence, tell him I am the Messiah. You go, come on, somebody clap your hands for that. I am the Messiah. 
So when you have doubts, things you don't understand, don't get down on yourself. Don't let the enemy lie to you. Why? Because you didn't see the heavens open. And you didn't hear the booming voice. And you didn't see the dove. Jesus himself said, blessed are you who believe because you see, but blessed are those who believe and have not seen. Don't allow, don't allow the devil to plant those seeds in you. John had all these signs, and it didn't disqualify him. God saw his heart. God saw John striving after him. Listen, you may not be as far along with a certain area of your life. You may be struggling with anger, frustrated over a personality trait that you see operating in your life that you don't like, and you don't want to be like your granddad or your father. You don't want to be like your mother, and you see those things happening in your life. You're saying, why in the world can't I get rid of it? If you were here Sunday night, I talked about not generational curses. Listen, when you're a child of God, you become a child of God. Every curse of sin is broke. You're no longer under a generational curse. But there are strongholds of thinking that you've got to come by the renewing of my mind and the meditation of my heart. I tear down those thought, that thought process. Friends, hear this all-important truth. You can't overcome a weakness if you don't get it out in the open. When you're honest with yourself and honest with God and you say, Lord, help me break this addiction. I can't do it on my own. God, help me to be not jealous of my coworker. Lord, help me to be more disciplined in my life. Help me to overcome. That's the first step to getting better. Notice I said when you're honest with yourself, when you're honest with God. Glue your eyes right here. Based on 30 years of ministry, understand, if I never talk to you again or if I never see you again, understand this. Be very, very careful with who you share your weaknesses with. Well, you didn't hear me. I said, be very, very careful on who you share your weaknesses with. Just because they're with you does not mean they are. Just because they are with you does not mean they are. Say it again. Just because they are with you does not mean they are. Just because they're with you doesn't mean they're for you. And don't go sharing everything with everybody because they're in your Sunday school class. They're in your small group. The lady next door makes good pateles, so I got to tell her a little something, you know. And when they come to you and they say, I want to tell you something in love. That's when you say, oh, no, 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 no. There is something called an unspoken prayer request where you don't share the details, but you ask for help in prayer. And when we humble ourselves, and like Paul, I don't have it all together. Like John, I have these doubts. Like the boy's father, Lord, help me, help my unbelief. That's when the creator of the universe steps in. Is your heart vulnerable? He's waiting on you. In John 4, we have a visual example of God's, how, how God waits. He waits. Somebody say out loud, the Holy Spirit is waiting. Say it again, the Holy Spirit is waiting. He's waiting. In John chapter 4, we have a visual example. 
Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea, and he went back once more to Galilee, and he's going through Samaria, and he has to go through a town in Samaria called Sychar, and it's near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph, and on that plot of ground, Jacob's well is there, and Jesus was tired, and he was weary from his journey, so he sits down because he knows that there's going to be a woman coming to the well, and so he sits down and he waits. He waits. The Holy Spirit is waiting. I read a commentary today that said the practical thing to do was to go to the well early in the morning when it wasn't hot. But this woman came at 12 in the afternoon because she was trying to avoid all the other people, all the other people. And Jesus is sitting out there and he's waiting. I know she's going to come. I know she's going to be here. I'm going to wait. Some of you ladies need to understand your husband's waiting on you. We just had a Scooby-Doo moment on the front row right here. (laughs) You're tied up with all your stuff and all your friends and all your things, and he's waiting. And the Holy Spirit is waiting. When the Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said, you, you're a Jew. You've got nothing to do with us Samaritans. Why are you asking me? And, and plus, you don't have anything to draw the water from. And Jesus said, if you draw from this water, you'll thirst. But if you draw from the water I give you, you'll never thirst again. And she immediately says, well, would you give me some of that water welling up to eternal life that I won't thirst again? Jesus answered, I will, but first go get your husband and come back. And I can imagine that time stopped for this woman. Uh-oh. She had five husbands and now was living with the man she was not married to. No doubt life had been rough on this lady. There's no doubt she had been mistreated, taken advantage of. She knew she had made mistakes, that she wasn't living right. And in town, everyone knew her. She was looked down on, made fun of. One commentator I read said that, that in, in his view, he thought she went into panic mode. And he went on to explain that he thought that everything in her was saying, get away from this man. Don't get transparent with him. Every time you've gotten transparent with a man, you've got hurt. And immediately she's going over all of the stuff. And she could have said, okay, uh, I'll get my husband. I'll be right back in 30 minutes. But everything in her was saying, hide your hurts. Hide your failure. Turn and leave. But after years and years of wearing a mask, she sensed something different in this man. And she said, no, this is a new day. I'm not making excuses. I'm not covering it up. I'm going to be honest. And she turned to Jesus and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said, yes, you have answered well. 
And he went on to tell her, you've actually had five different husbands and is living with this other man that's not your husband now. She says, sir, you must be a prophet. And we have heard that there is a day coming when Messiah will come. Verse 26, then Jesus declared, I am the one speaking to you. I am the Messiah. Do you realize the first person Jesus ever revealed himself to as the Messiah was a woman who was willing to get real? Listen, you may have made mistakes. You know you're not where you should be. God is not displeased with you. God is not displeased with you. He's not displeased with where you are. He's only displeased if you get stuck there. God is not displeased of where you are. He's just displeased if you get stuck there. And he's waiting to see your response in the next couple minutes. He's waiting to see what you're going to do. Jesus was wondering, is she going to get vulnerable? Will she take off the mask? What are you going to do? He's waiting. He's waiting. Listen, it's okay to be vulnerable with your children, by the way. Take off your Superman outfit. Sometimes you just need to be Clark Kent in front of your kids. You don't have to be Superman all the time. I read a story about a pastor who boarded a bus on a Monday morning with his son. He paid his bus fare, and then he went and they took their seat. And the pastor and his family were really going through a hard time financially. The pastor's wife was very, very ill. They were on their way to the hospital. And little indulgences like extra coffee in the morning at Starbucks or McDonald's that used to be enjoyed was now long, no longer a possibility. And the pastor is sitting there, and someone got on the bus with a brand fresh new cup of coffee, and he could smell it, and it was feeling so, so good, and man, I would really like that cup of coffee, and so he reached his hand into his pocket, and he pulled out the change the driver gave him. As he begins to count out the change, his son leans over and says, hey, Dad, I, I think the driver gave you too much change, and he struggled and struggled and struggled. His son watched him, and the Holy Spirit Waited. The child looked up at his dad and said, Dad, are you okay? He said, Son, I would really like a fresh cup of coffee. But this pastor knew that would be wrong. He also knew that some Christians would put the money back in their pocket and say, Thank you, God, for the blessing. Oh, you've been there. <laughs> At the next stop, he walked to the front of the bus with his son, took out the extra change, and said to the driver, excuse me, sir, you gave me too much change. The driver looked up at him and smiled and said, Pastor, I didn't make a mistake. I was at the church yesterday where you were the guest minister, and I heard your sermon on honesty. And I wanted to know if you actually lived it. And the Holy Spirit waited. The boy smiled up at his dad. The lesson was learned. I can tell you right now that spoke more to the son than a series of messages his father could ever preach. 
When that man got vulnerable, the Holy Spirit began to move. People are watching you as Christians. It has been said, you may be the only Bible many will ever read, the only Jesus they may ever see. And this is how the heroes of the faith live. They live transparent with the Holy Spirit. They live transparent with God. I'm almost done. Let me wrap this last part up for you. In Genesis 25, Esau and Jacob were born. They were twins. Esau was born first. But Jacob came out grasping his heel. Jacob grew up doing everything he could to get ahead. He was dishonest. He went around deceiving people. He was a conniver. He was a manipulator. When his brother was hungry, instead of giving him something to eat, old Jacob, he was able to trick Esau into selling his birthright for a bowl of soup porridge. This was very significant because the firstborn son received a double portion of the family inheritance. And when Jacob's father, Isaac, was near death and he couldn't see, Jacob dressed up like his brother Esau. His brother Esau was hairy, and he wasn't. And so he wouldn't put on a hairy jacket, and he went and allowed Jacob, who was blind, to feel him, and he tricked him, tricking his father Isaac into giving him the blessing that belonged to the firstborn son. But listen now, when we don't do things God's way, what should be a blessing is not a blessing. When we deceive and manipulate, we may get to where we want to be, but it won't be what we thought it would be. Jacob got the blessing, but the next 21 years of his life was a struggle. He he had to live in exile, working for his uncle Laban to get one of his daughters as a wife. However, Laban was more of a trickster than he was. And Laban had a problem. He had one good-looking daughter, and he had one ugly daughter. That's what it says. It says the younger daughter was, had a fairer eyes, which means the older one was ugly. <laughs> and no one wanted to marry the ugly one. And so he tricked him into thinking that he was marrying the pretty one when actually he got the ugly one. And he had to work another seven years for the one he really loved. I told you one of the first messages I was with you that the Holy Spirit keeps amazing books. He always brings everything back into balance. Jacob was reaping from all those seeds he had sown. And I'm sure Jacob didn't like who he was because deep down inside, he began to look at himself. And I'm sure Jacob didn't like what he saw. He said, I'm a con artist. I'm a deceiver. Have you ever got to the point where you let yourself get vulnerable and what the Holy Spirit showed you, you didn't like? We know this because after years of not having contact with his brother, he decides to go back home and make peace with Esau. That night before they were going to meet, Jacob was camped alone. He was afraid his brother would would not recognize him, and he would kill him. So the Bible says during the night, the angel of the Lord came and wrestled with Jacob. The angel of the Lord, the Christophany, the pre-incarnate Christ. Whenever you read about angels in the Bible, and it's not given a specific name like Gabriel or Michael or Lucifer, you know that you're dealing with the pre-incarnate Christ. Jesus himself came to work things out with Jacob. 
And the Bible says that they're wrestling all night long. I had one young man tell me, Pastor, I don't like this. If that was the pre-incarnate Jesus, that means that my God can be beat up by a man. Because the Bible says that when the angel of the Lord saw, he could not overpower Jacob. And this young man was frustrated. He's saying, I don't like that. And I said, because you don't understand it. It's not saying that, that God couldn't do it. A better translation would be, and when the angel of the Lord saw that Jacob would not give up. Because it's not a life or death, 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 death issue. Of course, a pre-incarnate Jesus being God could have wiped him off the face of the earth with one little pinky. But he was waiting to see if he would fight for his future. If he would fight for his name. Some of you are wondering why it is there's a restlessness. Because the Lord is trying to teach you through the process to trust the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says they wrestled. And then it says... That Jacob looked into the face of the angel of the Lord and said, I will not let you go till you bless me. This is another reason why, if you want to get technical with, with, with doctrine and theology, this is how you know that he wasn't wrestling with, with God because the Bible says no man can see the face of God and yet live. So we know he was the pre-incarnate Jesus, the son. And the Holy Spirit waited. I want the musicians to come quickly and just play softly. He waited. He waited. What is he going to say? And when the pre-incarnate Christ, the angel of the Lord, realized that this man is serious. He is fighting for his life. He's fighting for his family. He's got a broken heart. He's being vulnerable. See, this is when the Holy Spirit begins to move. And he asked Jacob a very serious question. What is your name? And the reason he asked him that was because years earlier when Jacob was trying to trick his brother and his father, when his father asked, what is your name? He lies and says, I am Esau. At this moment, Jacob has to decide, am I going to keep pretending Wearing this mask, hiding my weakness. Letting these dead things in my life just consume me. Or am I going to get real and get a fresh start? He finally said to the pre-incarnate Christ, I am Jacob. That's who I am. I can't con you anymore. And the angel of the Lord didn't say, yeah, I know who you are, pal. You're a longtime con man. You should be ashamed of yourself. The Holy Spirit is waiting. The Holy Spirit is waiting. Why? Because many of you are saved, but you're missing out on a new name. You see, Jacob had the birthright. Many of you got the birthright because you received Christ. 
but you're still conniving and trying to run things on your own and trying to run God and run the family and run your finances. What is your name? What is your name? I am Jacob. We also know that he's not wrestling with a normal angel because a normal angel does not have the authority to give names. So he's wrestling with the pre-incarnate Jesus, this God the Father, God the Son. You're no longer Jacob, now you are Israel. Israel means prince with God. Jacob means conniver, grasper. Israel means prince with God. And when Jacob got honest, God showed him his true identity. God took a deceiver and made him a prince. At times, we have all wore the mask. Gone about pretending, try to hide our faults. Well, everything's fine with my marriage. Everything's fine with me. Yeah, everything. God bless you, brother. Good to see you. Oh, praise God. It's just, ooh, glory. Just blessed. I'm just blessed. I'm blessed. I'm blessed. I'm just blessed. Some of you don't even know what blessed is. See, you think that blessed is all about your annuities, your T-bills, your bank accounts. You, you, you think blessed is, you know, that, that when the economy's doing good, you're doing good, and you've got all this stuff in the stock market, and, oh, you're just blessed. Listen, you can be broke, busted, and disgusted and still be blessed. I mean, you may have to ride the church here on the city bus and borrow somebody's purse and put newspaper down inside it. To make it look full. Oh, some of you understand now. For dinner, you might have made Kraft macaroni and cheese. Thought you were going to get real fancy and took some Oscar Mayer hot dogs and cut them up and put them inside there. That's how I grew up. Now, see, blessed has nothing to do with the car you drive or don't drive. Favor has nothing to do with your annuities and your bank accounts. Favor is the uncanny, innate ability to succeed over adversity. It's adversity that lets you know you're blessed. It's adversity that lets you know that you have favor. And you're wrestling. You're wrestling. You're wrestling with the angel of the Lord. Lord, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. I'm not gonna, because, Lord, I, I'm dealing with some issues. Because you're still wrestling, he said, no longer are you Jacob, you're Israel. God doesn't condemn you. That's when he gives you a new name. He created you to be a prince with him. By an upraised hand, how many say, I want a new name? A new name. Would you stand all over the room? I want a new name. Get ready. Something's about to happen in this room. Because the devil is trying to convince many of you that you're still that same person. You're still that person, that conniver, that trickster. No, 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 I'm, I got a new name. Some of you already got the inheritance. You're saved, you're born again. 
but you need the Holy Spirit to change your heart and be vulnerable. Listen, you don't want to miss Sunday morning. I got a preview of what Pastor Steve is teaching. He's taking this a step further with the Holy Spirit as far as dealing with dead things. Oh, dead joy, dead peace. But before you can get to Sunday, you got to deal with what's your name? What's your name? With every head bowed, every eye closed, the Bible says that God, he searches our hearts. I want you to allow the Holy Spirit right now to search your hearts and you get real vulnerable with God right now. I want you to just take off the mask and tell him, Lord, I'm saved. You know I'm saved, but there are certain areas that I'm still wrestling with. I haven't quite honored my wife like I should. I haven't honored my husband like I should. I'm dealing, Lord, with strongholds in my life, Holy Spirit. There are areas that I'm dealing with. Holy Spirit, I need the wind, the rain. I need the presence of God. I need the oil of the Holy Spirit. I need those things in my life, Lord, so I'm getting vulnerable. I'm like that boy's father. I'm looking at the situations that we are in, Lord, and I'm saying, I, I, I don't know. I just don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. In fact, all over the room, and even those watching on live stream, I want you to lift your hands wherever you are. And Anne, if you're watching me at home, you just lift your hands and you say, Holy Spirit, I'm getting transparent with you. I'm, I'm opening my heart to you. I'm, I'm taking off the mask. This is who I am. I'm Jacob. And all over the room right now, I want you to get transparent with God and you just start having that dialogue. Holy Spirit, here I am. I'm being honest. This is the area of my life. You start calling out that area you're dealing with. You start calling out that area you're praying for. To every husband in the room right now, if you have not honored your wife the way you should, you need to repent and say, Holy Spirit, I'm sorry. Would you help me to be vulnerable with my spouse? Holy Spirit, I welcome you with our human condition. From the balcony to the floor, just get real honest with God. He already knows there's no reason trying to hide it. There are some of you dealing with pornography. There are others dealing with alcohol. There are others dealing with all types of areas. And yet you're saved, but you're struggling. God sees your heart. He saw the heart of John. He saw the heart of Abraham. He saw the heart of David. Pastor has been teaching on the heart of David. And he sees your heart right now. As they begin to sing softly, I just want you to say, Holy Spirit, take my heart. Transform my heart. The power of the Holy Spirit in a vulnerable heart to change lives, to change history. Lord, change my history.